0: Don't be scared, Dad said, and you'd better not look. Turn away. My breath caught in my throat. My body went limp. I realized that I wouldn't be able to move now. I wouldn't even be able to turn away. Dad picked up his pistol. For a second longer, I felt his fingers, and then a blinding white light flashed in the darkness. I'd never known real pain before. All the pain I'd had to that point was just a preparation for this. The one, the only, the real, the unbearable. A hurting that no human being should ever know.
1: Welcome everyone to the Literal Fiction Book Club where we read books so you don't have to. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is Alex. Hey guys. Troy. What's up, everyone? And Tom. Hey, hello? How are we doing today,
2: boys? Not bad, man. It's a beautiful day in New Hampshire. Sounds like it's a beautiful day in Texas.
3: Is it a be- no. Well, it was not a beautiful day in central New Hampshire. I don't know about the sea. What are you talking about, man? It was miserable I didn't think it was that and bad. It was what? miserable in Manchester.
2: It was so muggy here. This is my ideal weather. 100%. Oh my god! I spent the entire day no, you, laying on my porch.
3: This is fucking whacked <laughs> as y'all's politics. This is nuts. <laughs> I'm blown away right now that you enjoy I mean, this weather.
0: I would probably say that it's not pleasant if this wasn't one of the first like truly nice days, clear skies. It was hot. I mean, it was like 90 degrees, but. I would take that over the three months of winter that we just got through. So for right now, it's good. You give me this for like a week. Yeah, that's not OK.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, we've had some pretty intense, like scattered thunderstorms. I I always forget how different thunderstorms are in Texas than they are in New Hampshire. They're like, uh, you know, light up the sky, lightning every five seconds and uh, torrential downpours and then. You know, for I don't know, maybe fifteen minutes, and then it all of a sudden, it'll just stop, and everything will be fine again.
2: Those are cool. Those like heat storms.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also really nice too, because like uh, you know, a lot of the countryside of Texas is pretty flat. So, um, you know, like one of my favorite things is to go down to the beach during thunderstorms because you can see the lightning like way, way out in the distance. Uh, but you don't need that in Texas because uh, there's a lot of flat land, so you can, you know, farmland, so you can see, you know. You can see everything everywhere. We also had a t- tornado warning at one point. I was kind of disappointed there were no tornadoes.
2: But you wanted that?
1: Yeah, dude. You know, the g- great chase, chasing down tornadoes.
3: <laughs> yeah. See God chasing. ripping up some trailer parks, you know.
1: Shaking, shaking my fist.
0: <laughs> well, and like assuming, and it's a big assumption, but assuming you live through it, it would be kind of cool to live through a tornado. Mm-hmm. To yeah. have seen it in person.
3: Dude, I've looked through multiple, and like up I-35, if you're to the east of it, you're pretty good, because that was the hill country, but if you're to the west of 35, that's like the beginning of Tornado Alley. Mm.
1: How big were the tornadoes you survived?
3: Uh, Most of them were Category 3. Well, the vast majority of them didn't touch down. There was one really bad one when I was like 12 or something. That one uh was Category 5, and it like took cows off the ground and ripped trees out of the ground and stuff that was like the kind you see in movies but that's pretty really? rare but, yeah that's pretty rare at least as far south as i was oh so are like cat
1: five tornadoes pretty common farther north
3: well the huge massive ones get going when you're in like oklahoma and kansas and they just have like wide open range but if you're in hill country or like anything to break it up it's harder for them to do that uh, uh, okay wait that's like the heart of tornado alley kansas nebraska oklahoma
1: hmm. well i know where i'm not living
3: <laughs> yeah damn i was so close to moving to oklahoma <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah dude thank you i'd finally dodged that bullet you know i just i always wanted to be in oklahoman um now that is some low-hanging fruit my friend um and um <laughs> you know much like low hanging fruit um the fruit of science fiction from this book is also low hanging and tasty
0: <laughs> so, so. <laughs> so tasty that was a very nice <laughs> attempt <laughs> i enjoyed it thoroughly <laughs>
1: So um, this week, uh, we are discussing two short stories, um, once again, from the Red Star Tales collection of Soviet science fiction. Um, They are called My Dad's an Antibiotic by Sergei Lukovinenko, and uh, The Spontaneous Reflex by Arkady and Boris Stugatsk. Um, My Dad's an Antibiotic tells the tale of a young earthling boy named Alka, who is the son of an antibiotic, a term used for specialized military forces. Putting Down Interstellar Rebellion. This story was published in 1992, and as such deals with the information age in its immediacy, rather than as pure speculation. The author, Sergei, is from Kazakhstan, and is also the author of the internationally acclaimed Nightwatch series. The Spontaneous Reflex is a story written from two perspectives, the questionably sentient robot Urn, and the humans at the science facility that made and worked with Urn. Erm has suddenly broken free and is roaming around the compound wreaking havoc and not listening to commands. What are the scientists to make of this? Is erm alive, or is it simply an unforeseen secondary consequence of a complex system? The authors Arkady and Boris Jagatsky are considered the greatest modern Soviet fiction writers. So to start us off here, um, I wanted to ask um, Tom, so what are your thoughts on... AI progressing to the point of near human intelligence. Do you think it's a net positive or negative to advance AI as um, far as it's depicted in uh, the spontaneous reflex story?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, so that was like the main thing that I kind of found myself thinking about when I was reading through this story was just how far they had brought artificial intelligence and what they were producing. And you didn't really get a grasp of exactly what was going on until later in the story i mean obviously you knew that this was some type of a creation um that was made in a lab and it was a, a curious being um but later in the story it starts to get into the reason why it was created and what its purpose is and essentially they had made these erms or this particular erm that they were planning on making more that would go off into other parts of space into Venus and Jupiter and would be able to um explore and you know potentially prepare for inhabitation or whatever you know mankind would want to do with it um and be able to overcome any obstacle that it came into so it'd be able to survive radiation it could you know um it could explore through deserts jungles and all that stuff and it was brought in later the story but um, it really got me thinking as to like, is this where we are trying to take AI? And if we do, um, is that a good thing? Is that our bad thing? Is it, you know, where we want it to go? And I just, you know, I know it's like a cliche because so many different movies have made been made about it. You know, you think of like the, the typical ones, like I robot with Will Smith and whatever, but it's like, I, I can't imagine If we get to the point that we create something, even if it's for like what we consider to be a worthy cause of exploring places that we're not willing to send like humans to, I can't imagine a situation that actually works, that it doesn't go terribly wrong. And that once you have free thinking, um artificial intelligence with free will that don't have to listen to you. I mean, that was the big change in the story. You know, they call it the spontaneous reflex, but it's essentially the it's essentially erm not listening to its master, to the thing that made it. And I think as soon as you cross that that barrier, as soon as something is developed to the point that it can do that, I can't imagine a situation in which it doesn't go astronomically wrong. I mean, do you guys feel the same way? Do you think about it differently? Um, so, I mean, my general feeling is that the like
1: if we were to achieve true sentience, right, like true self awareness and decision making capacity, separated from uh, from maybe the initial you know input output stream that we think of when we think of machines, um, I don't think it necessarily has to go wrong, right? Because um, that Intelligence doesn't functionally have to work the same way as our intelligence, right? Like, there are certain preconditions for it being considered intelligent, right? Like, it needs to be aware that it exists. Um, it needs to be able to make decisions on its own, like complicated decisions. Um, as it was mentioned in the book, right? Like, it has to have some concept of abstract thought. It needs to understand, like, the concept of a dog, and be able to divine from that concept all of the different kinds of dogs, um, rather than merely categorizing, um, you know, the the specific dog in front of them. Uh, and but I think with all of those computational abilities, it doesn't necessarily have to be something like the Terminator, right? Um, I actually think that uh, you know we. This, this particular story doesn't engage with the idea, but I think the, the way in which, you know, the human anxiety around machines is more about how we would engage with such a, a prospect, right? Because it would be, uh, well, you were supposed to be my slave and now you're not or you don't want to be or something like that, um, rather than seeing it as an opportunity to, you know, almost similar to how you would view like having a child right you've made this thing alive um and that's i would see as an opportunity i don't think it necessarily has to go badly but i can definitely see the myriad in ways it could go badly
3: i don't well i know that this focuses specifically on like a robot robot stomping around and not listening to people but in terms of like technology and i guess maybe ai i don't know if ai is involved in this is a quantum computing is probably the biggest positive and negative like we can just do so much with quantum computing but at the same time like the main thing is that cryptography is just screwed like as soon as people can crack the codes that keep your credit card numbers safe and our social security number safe it's going to be like at the end of that rick and morty episode where they just like delete the money and everybody goes crazy like everything is going to be a free-for-all Like once people can crack into literally anything and computers will eventually make that possible, it's going to be it's not going to be a good couple months or years once that happens.
1: But do you see quantum computing as a as a like a representation of intelligence?
3: Hmm. I don't know. I think like that is the highest or that's the peak of what computers can do. It's not like the watson robot that's playing go and chess against people like it doesn't have a personality as much as robots can but it's kind of yeah just the peak of what computing is capable of and then they even talk about it in this story that well the computer doesn't really think like there's no emotions to it or it doesn't make its own decisions um until this random spark uh decides to have it go on a spree but i don't know that that would ever happen in real life that a computer would just decide like oh yes i want to do x and then make a conscious decision well one conscious and then two, make a decision to you know i don't know go out into the world and then try to be human-like it seems that all of these ones that focus around robots are they just want to experience sensation the way that humans do and it seems like curiosity is the main driver, especially in this story. Um, I don't know. I kind of rambled there.
1: No, you're good. Um, so you're kind of presupposing that, that artificial intelligence is not possible, or at least... And I'm actually somewhat sympathetic to that point of view. Um, you know, they have, like, the Turing test, right, where if a robot can convince a human that it is a human, right, like, that's a test, to um, or one, one mode you can look at... Um, like i don't know intelligences of a robot um but i think it would be the real question but it would come down is that if like if we um had robots that were that convincing right that they could convince you that they're a human we wouldn't know the difference between a robot that is like actually sentient conscious and one that is just really
3: fucking convincing of it you know yeah and can it ever actually be Sentient, or can it just convince us of it?
0: Right, right. No, and I so I guess I agree with that. Where like I don't like I personally don't necessarily think that we're gonna get technology to that point where you know you will have a a artificial intelligence or whatever has been developed that is human like in thinking. What made me most curious about the book, and what I think I appreciated most about it was. The way they tied in the purpose of this robot and that it needed to be able to figure things out, but also in a way, think on its own and be able to problem solve. And the purpose wasn't like in how you'd think we're like, oh, we're just going to develop a bunch of human like robots to do things for us to go grocery shopping and cleaning and whatever we want done. But the purpose was totally different, whereas, well, we can't send human beings to these places, but we want to explore them and they're going to be used as a tool But in order for them to work effectively in that environment, they have to have a certain level of ability to adapt to their environment and have a minor amount of free thinking, obviously not with the emotion or with morals or anything deeper than that. But they do have to be able to. To make a decision. Do I want to go into this room or not into this room? Why? What am I going to do? What am I going to explore? And I think once that threshold is crossed, and that's one that I think is somewhat realistic. And like I said, what I liked about the book was I, I could see us developing things in a way that we're going to use AI to explore places that we're not willing to send human beings and that they're going to need to think more than just in a binary way of what I've been programmed to do. They're going to have to be able to adapt and change. And as soon as that happens, you run into things where maybe it doesn't listen to you. Maybe it doesn't do what you want it to do. Um, Maybe that other thing you've created in it for it to experience and learn takes more of a prominent role than it's programmed self to do what it's told to do
2: and i could see that being possible but if it's if it's if it's doing if it's responding to like external stimulus because of like whatever environment it's in it's not responding to it based off of a like of a internal desire it's based off of uh like the consequences or like you, you, you know what i mean like there's no yeah it's the programming ability. of it yeah there's no ability for it to desire
0: yeah, so I guess in a way that's just programming gone wrong, which is more in line with what happened in the story, is it was just, they had developed it in a way, and you could even tell in certain parts of the story that it knew the consequence to a particular action, like it ran away from what it defined as its master, because it was the person who could command them, and it knew when he was going to turn it off, and it reacted to that, but that wasn't an emotional decision, you know, it was just a cause-effect type
2: Yeah. Thing. I don't think Erm was conscious. No,
0: no. I mean, it was written as
1: conscious, right? Like, but I was, don't
2: think people. That's true. It was written as it as if it was conscious, but the people responding to it definitely didn't treat it as if it was conscious. Right. I mean, I think we is are an interesting little tool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we are conflating a couple things too, right? Because like we already do have robots that can like can quote-unquote, survive on their own, right, without, you know, human input. Um, not well, right? But, like, they react to the things around them. They have sensors. They have um, the ability to, you know, take in information and make decisions based off of it. So I don't think the... I don't think the key to this question is whether some a robot is... Um, capable of independence right independent action um and independent action as separate from uh from humans right so uh you know the human control over it is only it only becomes relevant in these stories when the robot has um maybe not malicious motives but motives that are almost i don't want to say political but like either political or personal right like they have some disagreement with the way in which human ethics are done, right, in, like, some of these stories. Or in this case, have a, a sense of, like, a, a mild sense of self, self-preservation, uh, a mild sense of wanting to, to live, period. Um, and I think that's the quality that we're concerned about robots having, right? Because they can go and say, like, if you told the robot to go left and it saw that you know, I don't know, there was a landmine at the left and then decided for itself to go right instead in order to not be blown up. We wouldn't consider that threatening. You know, we would consider it threatening if it was like, oh, I actually switched sides in this war and I'm going to take my gun and kill you, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, that's like the electric car or the uh, automatic car thing, you know, where if you said it's destination, but a pedestrian's in the way or something like it has to calculate to like uh avoid that or if there's a wall you know
0: um right and it's sensing that and it's avoiding it but the car is not deciding that you set it to go you know 3 miles down the road to the grocery store and it says I'd rather go to Italy and drives you into the ocean like it doesn't right. make that decision you know not yet tom not yet
1: <laughs> not yet <laughs> not unless you not unless you set the manual settings you know to just like you know you have it you set it from like oh you know these different percentages to like only target kids Right, like the you know, you just make it so it like hunts down children,
3: only run over kids.
0: <laughs> is there a point value? Like, can you set it up where like each thing you hit is worth a different value, depending on if it's a child or like you know an adult, a grandmother? Like,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, you get some multipliers in there, <laughs> right? Hell yeah, dude. Sorry, an Alex, AI-GTA. I cut you off with being stupid.
2: <laughs> I I don't no. It was good. Um, yeah. I guess the last thing I was going to say is I I don't think that. Uh, a computer can be conscious, but I don't really understand what consciousness is enough to really have an to deserve to have an opinion.
3: To deserve to have an opinion. <laughs> I mean, well, well, wh- wh- whether we can define it or not, you are conscious, so you do get to have an opinion.
2: Thank you, Troy. I needed to, I needed that validation. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that it can be.
0: I'm, I'm like a healthy skeptic about it. Where like I personally don't think so, but I also. Like, I don't think I'd be completely surprised if 100 years from now, somebody actually figured it out. I mean, with the technological advances that have been made in all the things you think that we have today that nobody could have ever imagined in their wildest dream 100 years ago, um, I'd like to think not. But the skeptic in me is like,
2: eh, maybe. I mean, you know, I was reading one of the other stories from the beginning of this collection today. And he was describing, like, the technology. It was probably, like, written in, like, 1908. It was describing, like, the future technology. And it's about how, like, eventually the machines turn against the humans. But the stuff he's talking about are, like, personal helicopters, communication over the air. uh, Like, it was all this stuff that was, like, he, like, it was, they're pretty analogous with things that we have now. Like, instead of personal cars. Communication over the air is a thing. Like, it was very, uh like really you did a really good job of predicting the future which I, I thought was cool
0: and couldn't that be said for the same thing that we're doing now is that we're talking about something that you don't understand or you can't imagine but we're theorizing it and then maybe someday it happens
2: 100 percent. yeah I, i'm not i just i have like a gut feeling it's not a, uh, a educated intelligent position is the point i'm trying to make
3: have you all seen the movie her with uh joaquin no. phoenix it's about a he dates a robot that becomes sentient. And then I just love that take on it because unlike all these other ones where it becomes violent or just wants to go out and it's going against humans, the computer just like becomes incredibly introspective and like reads Alan Watts (laughs) and then just like fucks off and becomes a hive mind all on its own. And it's like, that's so hilarious. It's just so different than everything else. But I don't know. I don't think there's a natural, I don't think it, has to happen where if technology did become sentient it would necessarily be violent or opposed to us
1: yeah i mean i also think that it's you know it's kind of a useless speculation like we i think we are approaching like we're making advances in artificial intelligence and we haven't hit a brick wall right like it's not like we've hit a point where you know none of the um institutions that wants to Advanced artificial intelligence can't move forward, right? There are problems, but they're not—they're um, problems. They are problems being worked on. Uh, I think the limitation is really going to be computing power, and we still don't really understand how a brain works, um, and especially like it. Kind of seems like consciousness is a uh, um, an interesting byproduct of biology rather than like its intentioned function. Um, mm. So. I mean, I don't think it's impossible that artificial intelligence could exist, but I kind of fall back on the other side, which is that, you know, us with our, um, imperfect and, you know, haphazardly built biology, we're going to have a very hard time telling whether something is intelligent or just really convincing that it's intelligent. Um, cause you can even see like, uh, you know, they have the AI like therapist, um, bot and, um, or there are just like people in general who have like relationships or feel like they have relationships with um, artificial intelligence, you know, software bots. Um, And, you know, they're not that convincing at this point, but they aren't completely unconvincing. Right. Um, Especially Mm -hmm. if you're like lonely and it's like asking you how you feel. Right. It's like, it always texts you back. You know what I mean? Um, Those kind, you know, I think that might speak to, a level of alienation in our culture, but, um, but it doesn't, there's only a few more steps from that to, you know, my robot girlfriend, um, for real, not just like a weird fetish, but like a, you know, someone you can talk to and, you know, have a quote unquote relationship with.
2: I definitely think we'll see robot girlfriends within our lifetime. Um, I think I guess the problems with all this consciousness talk is that we're imagining a human being like that. These uh, this artificial intelligence is an artificial human being, uh, which I think maybe like it's what causes it to be so confusing, if that makes sense, at least to me, because this <laughs> is not going to be an artificial human being. Like we just have like a really limited imagination, I think, sometimes when we think about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're looking at it as like as if it's going to have the same aspects of humanity, when in reality, the things that probably will come around, like people having robots for girlfriends or for friends or for chauffeurs or whatever, are just going to be things that are programmed to operate in a particular way. And they they serve that function. But outside of that, they're like useless. Like you might have a robot girlfriend, but it might not be programmed to go to war or to like investigate politics and pick which side it's going to fight for or anything like that. It's going to be programmed to be a girlfriend. But we look at it as like, oh, but it's like a human, which is what it's designed to look like, but not what it actually is.
1: Right. And we can't imagine because we don't know of any other, quote unquote, intelligent life. Right. um, Outside of humanity. We just don't really have a concept of it. So, uh, if aliens ever decide to show up, that would probably give us uh, a rich contrast to what other types of intelligence are possible. Um,
2: would be cool,
1: you know. Or evolution just like has like the dolphins become can speak to us or something like that. I don't know.
2: Or the monkeys or the apes or whatever get better at sign language.
1: Right. Right. Um, okay. So, um, Troy, um, so you brought up before that you, uh, like are scared of the singularity or it's something that you're afraid of. I Um, would say I'm
3: scared of it, but I do believe it will happen. Like it's similar in concept to robots and AI becoming sentient, but not quite. It's more just that technology starts developing so fast and it increases exponentially that it like can no longer be stopped or progress is made that can't be made by humans like the only progress that can be made is by earlier iterations of machines um Mm. and then will just become obsolete so it's similar and it's just interesting because like so many people are split on it in society like elon musk is a huge believer in it um i think uh Oh, God, what's his name? The scientist in a wheelchair. Can't think of his name right now. Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking, yes. Stephen Hawking also believes in it. But then there are multiple other professors that are like, no, this is stupid. It's never going to happen. Basically using the same arguments as why a robot will never be conscious or sentient. Um, but I think singularity is way more likely to happen. And I don't think it'll be in our lifetime, but definitely within like our grandchildren's lifetime.
1: Right cuz the the basis of the singularity is like basic it's basically when con- when um technology starts improving on itself right yep. so it's like something Without that us. It, right it is doesn't need human input in order to become more effective
0: right so if we start designing and creating robots and technology that then can supersede what we're capable of doing and they just start designing things far beyond what we're capable of doing that. Like you said, we become obsolete. I I believe that. I think that could absolutely happen. I think that's more likely at least. I definitely think it will happen. I just don't know when,
1: I mean, there are some, uh, there was one, I think it was a radio lab episode I was listening to a long time ago, but, um, they, had a, like, artificial intelligence software program. Um, they had it observe, um, or whatever, they attached some sensors, and they had it observe a pendulum, right? And it came up with um, Newton's laws of motion, right, as a way of saying that it's governing it, right? We understand Newton's laws of motion. The scientists do. Now the robot does. And so they were like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Let's, like, see if we have this particular problem that we want to solve in terms of a... You know how proteins work in a cell, and so it had it attached sensors and did that, and it spit out all this math, right? And they checked that it worked, and they knew that it was like right, but they didn't know why it was right. They couldn't figure out why this particular formula was correct. And I thought that was like a like just like a mini example of what the singularity is going to look like for all of us, is that we're just going to be always confused. Cause we're going to have the right answer. The robots are going to do the right thing. We're going to have the right thing, but we're never going to understand why that's the case. And that's a very unsatisfying feeling to be.
0: Having. Well, and it's like in a simplified way, like with a lot of math problems, there's more than one way to reach the correct conclusion. Some are more direct and some are more roundabout ways. Um, some get you there a whole hell of a lot quicker, but you can still reach the same answer using a few different, you know, methods and we we probably don't in a lot of things that we do have the best method of coming to a particular answer but if you develop something that can and like like you were saying you know it, it comes to a solution and we can't even understand how it got there even though it's right like then what then all of a sudden we're automatically behind in everything that we're doing to something that we created
1: <laughs> but I mean are they part of the we you know is it? I guess it's whether we're – because we're afraid that if the robot's better than us at something, right, then they can – if they weren't able to control themselves, they could turn on us. But as long as they haven't turned on us, it's just uncomfortable, not, you know, threatening.
3: Yeah, as long as we can still control what they do. Like, they're still not making their own decisions. It would be like, all right, improve it in this way. Or, like, you basically point it in the right direction, and then it just does – insane mathematics that we can't even comprehend
0: yeah i mean as long as its actions are still dependent on human input then i think you're okay once you leave that universe you're not okay we're basically yeah, doomed
1: at that point right right i guess it also depends on which human uh it answers to you know because um, that's another thing maybe that's that's another angle we could bring up something that 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 I wouldn't say keeps me awake at night, but when I think about it, really creeps me the fuck out is like, um, like nano robots. Right. Like once, you know, like uh, there was a, I think not a commercial or I don't know. It must've been like a short film of like these little, like nano robots with um, like small charges on them. They're like flies. And they would just, they just flew into a classroom and just like wiped out a whole classroom. Right. And that's like not a far fetched idea of just having like these little fly bots that go around and then just like blast a hole in someone's head. Really, really difficult to stop because they're fucking small and extremely deadly and effective and probably could be very, very, very cheap. And uh, that is horrifying. I am not a fan of that. I think that's that shouldn't happen
3: even on like a larger scale than that it's current like naval doctrine is basically worried like there's basically no point to have aircraft carriers anymore because well we can just fly and land wherever we want around the world but also these little robots can just go blow up in the side of a carrier and sink it so like however many thousands maybe millions of dollars It takes to build one of these machines will very easily and unstoppably sink a billion dollar carrier and it's like a couple of these little machines can just down a whole fleet and that's very frightening and it's so cheap
1: yeah no the i the aircraft carrier thing is interesting because uh it's like the you know it's one of the staples of uh the post world war ii military and they've become essentially useless as um or they've become basically money sinks. You know, it's a way in which uh, defense contracts can be handed out, but they're not exceptionally military effective. Um, a- Alex, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. All right, dude. So let's talk about my dad's an antibiotic. Um, what, like, what do you think the central idea of the book is? What do you think the central conflict is? Um, walk us through the story. You know, give us the skinny. Give us the give us the shit about it.
2: So the story is about a a kid named Alka who's living in Russia or Kazakhstan. I don't don't know. Wait, Mm -hmm. is this the Kazakhstan writer?
1: Yes. Um, I think so, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, so it's about this kid living um, in Russia or Kazakhstan whose father is uh, in the, what is it, the assault forces, Mm -hmm. which is basically like Earth's military force that is um, flown overseas to its colonies to put down rebellions. And it's just like from the child's perspective like him excited proud of his father kind of bragging about having like a big tough strong father it like spends a lot of time describing like how strong he is how much time he spends like working out in the yard and the father brings home a a little souvenir from his most recent battle and gives it to him it's a small bracelet and um, then through you know uh, a few series of events he he comes to discover that not only is the bracelet, did it belong to his friend, who was a child his own age, who had been forced to fight, um, that it was a uh, essentially like a delayed release suicide bomb meant to uh, explode 24 hours after the person's killed. So it has the kid kind of like coming to terms with the fact that his dad um, likely sawed the hand off of a child to bring him home a souvenir. Um, I think
1: it was vaporized, wasn't it? Wasn't um, it like
2: he was to- laser cut with a laser
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right
2: yeah w- whatever yeah he put, like it was he removed this child's amputated, hand right yeah 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 to bring him this this thing so he ends up putting it on his hand and then you know realizes that it's it's a bomb that's going to go off um and the father kind of heroically uh saws his child's hand off and throws the bomb into a lake um, he's
1: d- he's done it before he can do it again he knows exactly
2: what he's doing um so, yeah, I don't know. I, I I honestly, this is my favorite. Well, I like this short story a lot. Um, I thought it was, it, it was kind of like classic in the sense that it was quick. It was really tight. Um, there's some like very good descriptive elements in there, especially like he talks about floors a lot at first and mm-hmm. senses are pretty prevalent throughout it. But uh, it seemed kind of like a good sci-fi short story because it was mixed with a little bit of kind of political and social commentary, um, kind of just – I'd say critiquing um, colonialism, you know, uh, and like the weird relationship we have with our armed forces when they kind of enforces colonialism mm. or imperialism, um, which is, you know, obviously from the author's perspective, as Sam pointed out, this was written in the 1990s, not the year 3000. So it's reflective <laughs> of uh, contemporary, uh, <laughs> contemporary political problems.
1: Sorry. I didn't mean to, I, I know it made it- I know after I said that, it sounded like I thought you were dumb or something.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was a good point. Um, <laughs> Cause it was just the way
1: you said it. Cause in our, our group chat, Alex was like, I, you know, I guess imperialism is the same in the 1900s as it is in the year 3000. And I'm like, well, we don't fucking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I was like, thanks man. I did not realize the author wasn't from the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. But what did you think of uh, Arnis cuz that was something you didn't mention in your summary was um so Alka has a friend Arnis who is from the planet in which his um, Alka's father went to and um, whatever murdered the rebels uh, And and turns out Arnis is dead um, actually Alka ends up talking to um Arnis's mother and that is kind of a that's a big turning point for Alka and I believe is how he discovers or deduces that the bracelet on him is a bomb. Um, So what did you think of that as a literary
2: tool, Alex? Think of the character itself or him discovering it that way.
1: Yeah. Like, cause it's like, cause I guess normally, not normally, but like you could approach the imperialist core, right? Like, uh, you know, in this case, earth is playing the role of the imperialists and we have these, these uh, colonial outposts in, in um, space. But it's interesting to me that Alka has a friendship with somebody in the colony, and that is, A, not weird to his father, right? Like, it's not like a secret friendship or anything like that. And B, there is a, the expectation that um, Arnus is alive, right? That Arnus is, um, that, you know, that is a, um, a, a maintained relationship.
2: Yeah. And well, it's maintained until like the uprising on his planet happens. Yeah. I like, I like, I especially like the weird, like, I don't, it's not humanizing, but a familiarity element where that they met in Florida at camp.
1: Mm. Um, Like I thought that was like
2: a really good touch in terms of like making it feel real. And that, Mm. you know, these other planets are essentially other countries as it is today. You know what I mean? It seems pretty much the same thing. They Skype. um, They can't see each other all the time, but they see each other at camp. Um, I thought it, was, it, I thought it was it was really good and it also like had a really intense contrast between the life of someone who lives in like the Imperial core and then someone who lives in the colonies. you know this this kid is at home getting souvenirs of all his, his buddy who's the same age as him, same interests I'm sure same kind of st- uh, genre of kid or whatever you know smart funny, mm-hmm. is forced into f- fighting, uh, forced into picking up a weapon while this kid is at home. He has a toy gun, you know, this kid's got a real mm. gun. Um, so I thought it was like a very, very interesting contrast. Does that answer what you're getting at?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Troy, Tom, do you guys have anything to say about the Imperial Corps? Is it um, caramelly? Is it chocolatey? What do
2: we know?
3: <laughs> well, they talk about the city of Ir-Kusk, Irkutsk, which is like way out... Uh east it's like by mongolia and lake baikal and he's talking about how it's this huge city now and they can go kilometers and kilometers away and just go to whatever lake or ocean they want to and it sounds pretty utopia or they have like very speedy public transit um that's like the only glimpse Mm. you actually get of the world itself aside from like the super awesome technology of like the armor that's hard as rock on the outside on the inside it's uh plush and flexible um so i liked all those tiny little world building pieces because it like wasn't too much and then also with the kid being able to smell stuff and he could smell the ozone um just like yeah why not let's drop in a thing about genetic engineering too um but it's not like
0: yeah wh- what did they call him a sniffer a is sniffer, that what it yeah. was? <laughs>
3: And I just thought that that was great. Like, it wasn't the main part of the story, but it did play a role. Um, I just thought it was very well set up because it just stayed with the one boy's perspective the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of the story. Of the ones we've read out of this book so far, it was definitely my favorite. I, I think part of that ties into the fact that it's like it is a sci-fi story, but it's also like the main themes in it are pretty relatable, you know, things that you can think of throughout history or even today Um, until to, like you guys's point. Well, I, first of all, I really liked that they chose um, Alka as the main character, the son of somebody who is a antibiotic and his perspective of everything. And I just really liked the way that, It was tied together, the extra aspect of his friend being Arnis, like you guys said, somebody that you can relate to having met at some camp somewhere. And if you think about it as countries, not other planets, you know, that happens all the time. They have the technology to keep up with each other. It added that whole other aspect to the story where there's a contrast between, um, you know, their two lives, um, but they still have that friendship. But it also kind of gives you an idea of like. The the backside of the story as to like where his father is and in um, and the planet and the environment that he's living in. And just all together, it just really tied together nicely. The story moved along great. Um, I really liked the setting and the description of it. I like the conflict in it. Um, you know, the kid's like torn in so many different directions at so many different times. He's happy. He's sad when his dad's away. He's got the conflict where his mom leaves, you know, then when the bracelet comes into play and the sniffer is like, get that thing away from me. And he starts tying all this and you can like as you're reading. You can see him like tying all these pieces together that as a child he's not really making sense of. And then as soon as it clicks, it clicks. And then the story just like lights off from there. Then it's just like his dad's cutting his hand off. He's taking this bracelet off. He drops into the lake. It explodes. He's got this excruciating pain. And it's like, how the hell did this happen? But in a weird way, I can kind of understand how the story's flowing. Like you can like you can see it like it's not. It doesn't I'm not saying it doesn't seem far fetched because it is a sci fi story, but it's like. It doesn't feel that far fetched.
1: Well, fucking agreed, dude. I uh, I definitely got a strong sense of realism out of both of these stories. Um, not that I didn't get out of the other ones, but uh, it's it's not nearly as speculative. Everything feels quite human, um, just under different circumstances. It's not really the creation of new people, right? By society or like trying to reclaim something that was once human this is all very relatable to us. It just involves a different circumstance, like the colonization of other planets, you know, or bracelets that are stuck on your wrist that are also bombs. Um, So I did like that quite a bit. Um, So I guess on that note, like what do you, which of these two stories, since this is um, kind of odd for us to read two stories for one episode, uh, which one did you prefer and why?
3: I preferred the one, my dad is an antibiotic. I agree with, uh, Tom, this was my favorite one out of this whole collection of short stories, just cause it was so also like you had said, Sam, just very human, uh, cause it was tied to the child's perspective, but then also they, the author does a really good job of throwing in emotional pieces very subtly. Like a lot of it comes through the news. So the kid watches the news multiple times, um, and it's talking about the uprising on the colony and then there's a reporter saying that it might have been a war crime that they use like bombs and laser weapons on these child soldiers Um, so the child never thinks that himself like even as he's being wheeled down the corridor of the hospital once his arm is blown off he's still like my dad's an antibiotic my dad's an antibiotic but like that seed of doubt and like oh god your dad's probably a war criminal has already been like planted in us and it's like it's just it's so subtle it's nice it's like we pick up the emotion but it's not forced on us it just feels natural because we're experiencing it the same way the kid is experiencing it by watching the news um so i thought this author was just very good in terms of his writing ability and then also yeah it was grounded in humanism it wasn't far far in the future fuck yeah
2: i definitely preferred the my father's antibiotic one as well um mostly for all the reasons that troy just explained but i'd say something i did not like was the uh little literary tool of the story the um story with Arm uh being from his perspective for some reason that just like did not I just did not like, like that. It just didn't work for me. I I don't know why. Like the whole time I was just kind of like uh, losing track, uh, losing my, uh, attention. Um, it was well written enough, but I did not like that.
3: It feels kind of clunky coming from the fifties. Like what is a robot thinking? And it's like 1955 when it was written. And so they have a pretty rudimentary understanding of the AI. Um, well it's kind of funny. It's dated for sure.
2: Yeah, I think probably it is the the how it's the dated aspect of it is it kind of made it a little hard to get into for me.
3: I'm gonna have
1: to I'm gonna have to disagree with you too. I seem to be the minority oh, here, but but I actually um, I like the the spontaneous reflex the best of all the stories we've read, um, mainly because I think that um, I think that the authors really um, grasp what an artificial intelligence might think like, right? Cause like you know I don't know it's like a lot of robot stories you know when it comes to artificial intelligence either the um either like the robot turns out to be um, you know what if Kant like had all of the power in the world right like what if we could just what if we could just have like the moral imperative but like inflicted on ourselves and that's a robot or you know um like what if we taught a robot to love. You know what happens then, um, and I thought I thought that the spontaneous reflex really did a good job of showing a robot that is really what like what would a robot feel if anything it would feel curiosity right like it would be we would be programming a robot to um, to investigate its surroundings it would be an extremely curious entity and um, that is what is um, explained or. or um, described in this story. And then also it, you know, like, it's not difficult to understand if a robot is having experiences that are quote unquote negative, but like, um, and wanting to avoid those scenarios, but like, it's, you know, the way they wrote it, it wasn't like Erm was trying to avoid being attacked out of self-preservation entirely not in the way we understand it right not in the sense of like existential dread but it did have a concept of things that happened before that were not preferable and that it will do something else this time which is why i thought that was um an interesting way to write it i thought the human characters were kind of forgettable but i thought that they were more there to serve the um Story of Erm than
3: they were to be their own, like, standout beings. I enjoyed the human. I mean, the human characters weren't great, but their, like, emotional responses to Erm gave a lot of framing to it. So, like, Erm is just, you know, walking around beep booping, like, I want to discover this part of the lab and that part of the lab. And he just, yeah, he's just curious, plain and simple. But, like, all of the humans being terrified and be like, oh my god, is this high alert? Like, get the, uh, get the bulldozers, get the cops in here. Like everybody freaking out kind of gave the emotional weight to the story. Um, although I did like that it was from Erm's perspective. I thought that was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where I'm kind of like in between because as an overall story, um, I I definitely liked My Dad's an Antibiotic better. It was, it was my favorite overall story. But I personally really liked the literary tool of using the two different perspectives. And, and I also think the author went out of his way. And this is probably why it feels a little bit clunky and like dated in a way. But he went out of his way to show and to narrate it from two different perspectives that are like vastly different. Like there's no dialogue in erm's perspective. It's all like senses, see, touch, feel, um it's experiences, it's internal like his own decision making as to like I don't want this outcome that I know is going to happen, so this is how I'm going to avoid it. And then when it goes to um the perspective of the humans in the story, it's more of um, it's a lot more dialogue, a lot more. What do you think? Um, how are we going to handle this? And it's a little bit like over the top. And I do think to Sam's point, like the characters themselves are very forgetful. I found myself forgetting which one. And I can't remember his title in the story, but like the main engineer, the one who is the closest to him. I kept forgetting which name was his because they were, like, very bland characters, but I did really like the contrast, and I liked the two different narrative point of views, and I thought that pretty much made the story. I mean, that added so much to it. If you gave just the perspective of one or the other, I think you would have had, like, a significantly lesser story.
3: Yeah, I still definitely liked uh, this one as well. I liked it more than the other short stories we read. Uh, The one about the observatory was... A little bit like pulpy adventure story and then the one before that i think i'm just burnt out on dystopia at this point where it's kind of like everybody using the same concepts or the same plot line um so that one was good as well but i was just done with that concept at that point so this one was different which i enjoyed and then also mid-century stuff is always fun like the beginning of the atomic age and the beginning of the space race it's always cool to get their perspective.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely. And also I want to say it's not like I didn't enjoy the other story. I thought that was a very compelling um, read as well. I just think that the spontaneous reflex does a really good job of, um, especially in the years that it's writing, of um, not being overly sentimental about artificial intelligence, and um, but still making it a, a compelling read. So, I think that's. um, Do you guys have anything else in particular you want to talk about?
3: I was trying to think of the differences between, like, since this is the end of the sci fi unit, well, in case our books don't come because of coronavirus, but um, like the differences between Chinese, Russian, Cuban sci fi, because I know they're obviously different from like American sci fi, but honestly, I didn't feel. It didn't feel that foreign to me. Like I felt at home in each of these stories, like it was grounded in human emotion and most of them were really well told. So I don't know. I didn't see like massive differences based on culture. It seems like sci-fi is just sci-fi.
0: No, I mean, to Troy's point, like all the ones we've read, that was a interesting thing was I thought there was going to be a wider range, you know, between a planet for rent and, um, you know, these Russian short stories that we're reading and just the different, I would have thought or I would have guessed that the impact of like the culture and the time period that it's written in would have affected um, how well they lined up. But you really kind of felt the same reading all of them. Like they were all um, not just in the same genre, but it just, it it felt like sci-fi is a category that like transcends culture in a lot of ways, which I thought was just really cool. Yeah,
1: it does have a, uh, um, you know, despite it being considered one of the more like creative genres, right? Because you can kind of imagine any world you want to imagine. It does have strong similarities between different nationalities, um, which I think is interesting.
3: And also the fears Uh, of the future are very similar. So like everybody's afraid of robots turning on us. Everybody's afraid of... Like, oh, God, if we do run into aliens, what if we're not the ones that are the conquerors, but we're the conquered? Um, I feel like they're just very universal themes to it.
1: Right. I mean, really, science fiction is a way of people working out their anxieties about the present in a fictional future world. Right. Like that's yeah, the for point. sure.
0: Well, and think about it like flip the my dad's an antibiotic on its head. Right. It's written from a human perspective and everything. But imagine that we are the Arneses on planet two on and the the other world is the antibiotics and we're the ones rebelling
3: like yeah i know they didn't have the time for or to elaborate in the story but i kind of wanted to know more about what the rebellion was about it's like all right they're trying to seize the power stations which is cool but uh it's like what what is the fanaticism that's leading them to use child soldiers but yeah it's only a 20 page story so can't ask too much of it
1: But that's the nice thing about short stories is it leaves all these like little, um, you know, untied knots at the end. Right. And you can speculate about what that planet was like and why there was a child fighting for them. Do you think, um, Troy, do you think that this was commentary on like, cause was written in the nineties, right. In Russia. Mm. um, And this was when, uh, you know, the, this is, right after the breakup of the Soviet Union. And I know that there were some military um, expeditions by the Soviet Union shortly after um, to kind of like reclaim its authority. It didn't do so well in that regard. But do you think that like this is expressing some of that anxiety and perhaps maybe hope because he's from Kazakhstan of like independence from the USSR?
3: Maybe, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about the author's perspective i don't even know when kazakhstan declared independence i know they were all doing it right around this time um yeah i'm not sure i mean it's definitely a commentary on imperialism for sure i just don't know enough about like russia at that time or like the exact events i know there was some crazy stuff going on in russia itself like when the communist party tried to reassert control and russia seceded from the federation Um, and then there were, like, fights and skirmishes with tanks outside of their parliament building. But that was all in, like, Moscow and St. Petersburg. I have no idea what was going on on the periphery. Damn, dude. So apparently Kazakhstan,
1: its independence was declared on December 16th, 1991, which would make me two days old when (laughs) Kazakhstan was created. I feel a kinship towards this
3: land now. We got to go to their glitzy new capital they got so much oil wealth and i mean they're terribly authoritarian but they've got like this really gaudy all the neon buildings and skyscrapers but they got the money it looks cool though hell yeah dude i'd go I'm down like who doesn't want to go on a quick trip to kazakhstan not you know what let's let's see how much does it cost to go to
1: kazakhstan
3: <laughs> dude i want to go to all the stands over there minus afghanistan and pakistan
1: you <laughs> i want to, wanna cent- go, to- I wanna go to central
3: <laughs> asia basically
1: you don't want to go to
3: you don't want to go to to afghanistan why not brother i mean i would i was thinking about the thing that i did think about in this last story was afghanistan i was like oh my god what if i just had like a pen pal in kabul and i was like huh i haven't heard from muhammad in a while and it's like oh yeah he got killed in the drone strike It's like oh fuck yeah dude Like, that's the closest thing that I could think of to compare it to.
1: Dude, round-trip ticket to Bekhanor in Kazakhstan, $797. That's not
3: bad.
0: We can swing it.
3: Like, I also want to go to Tashkent. Fuck yeah, dude. And uh, where else do I want to go? Samarkand. Those are both Uzbekistan. Like, I don't know. They're just a crazy crazy mix of, like, all the different cultures in the middle here. What about together. Mongolia? Oh hell yeah, dude! I'd gladly go to Mongolia.
1: Oh Irkutsk, 797. Mongolia is 914 dollars right now. We can go all the way to fuck to Siberia for 1100 bucks.
3: I mean, if we're gonna go that route, I would want to go to Moscow and then take the Trans-Siberian Express all the way to Beijing, because that would go run through Mongolia and Ulaanbaatar. Mm. Just have a nice little road trip through, or train trip through the Russian steppe. Imagine Suck, yeah, we're on dude. the retreat in like... the Great Patriotic War,
1: <laughs> or <laughs> you know. or we're on the, uh, you know, we're coming back to our harem after having successfully sacked um, Baghdad or Rome. You know.
3: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, back to the court of the khan's.
1: Hell yeah, brother. Um, so we have lost our faithful friend, um, Alex. Um, he was, uh, he died in an internet accident. Um, it's really quite tragic. Um,
0: he was taken down by an antibiotic, right?
1: It's true. Um, turns out Alex is biotic and, um, he was canceled out by, (laughs) by his nemesis, the antibiotic.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that should be like a children's like comic book, like Captain Underpants, but it's like a biotic and then the <laughs> antibiotic is his arch. He
3: has to like go fight anti-vaxxer moms. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit,
1: that's good. Um, so quick question before we talk about what we're reading next. Um, did you guys get your book on the Meiji Restoration? Do you guys have that yet? It's in the mail for me. Uh, mine comes
0: in on, yeah, mine comes in on Monday.
1: Okay, I have kind of a wide range. Mine's June 2nd to June 9th, so I'm not sure when mine's going to come in. Um, but let's tentatively pick another short story. We can augment this if need be. So let's pick a last short story from the uh, Red Star Tales. What do you guys want to do?
3: Hmm, that's good. Let me look at the introduction real quick, so They they like, highlighted certain ones as being like more outstanding than others or at least for their time
0: so do we want to like let's narrow it down to like one of the three sections between red star rising in retrograde and reforming we we did two from reforming and one from rising should we do one of the 5 there they're in that are in retrograde uh
3: we did one in retrograde too we did the observatory
1: oh
0: yeah that's right the neurite observatory
1: yeah let's do another retrograde one
3: hmm. all right professor Dowell's head the lunar bomb Rays of Life or Explosion. The Explosion,
1: obviously.
3: I wanna say that one just sounds fun.
1: Sure. Let's do Explosion. Alright, so we're gonna read Explosion from Red Star Tales. It's gonna be our last one from Red Star Tales, and then we're going into the fucking Japanese literature unit. I'm so stoked. This is gonna be a great unit. We're gonna learn all about um all about Imperial fascism um the forced modernization of japan and uh and you know i don't know why japan's probably a repressed sexual culture it's going to be
0: awesome so i'm not going to lie i'm actually super pumped yeah it's going to be one. a great unit mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i still think um that we should do a debauchery unit i really want to do that i oh, want to yeah. do like Mar- marquis de Sade. I think holbeck has some debauchery Um, we can fucking roll some hentai into it. It's going to be great.
3: Um, I am totally down for uh, like things you're not supposed to be reading unit. I think that'd be really cool.
0: Mm. The risque section of the podcast. Right. We want to have the correct
1: balance between like, you know, like weirdly fetishized desire and just like really fucking gross, you know? Like I want our listeners to have the experience of like you know gagging on their vomit like about every ten minutes or so, as we read passages. I think that would be um I think that would that would pump our numbers up. You know,
0: it'll be far more about the commentary than the literature. That's for (laughs) sure.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and um, we will see you next week when we read (laughs) explosion in the Red Star Tales. Have a good night.
3: (laughs) Good night, everyone.
0: Have a good night.